English lady. Where is she? There has been no English lady here. What? There has been no English lady here. But it's ridiculous. She took me to the dining car and came back here with me. Who went? She came back alone. There's a woman on this train, Miss Troy. Some of you must have seen her. They're hiding her somewhere. Do you hear? Why don't you do something before it's too late? Please, please. I know you think I'm crazy, but I'm not. I'm not. For heaven's sake, stop this train. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Ultimately, we seek answers to three questions. Does the remake do justice to the original? And if you just watch the remake, do you get a good sense of why the original was successful or not successful and thus remade? But most of all, which movie to watch, the original or the remake? Well, welcome back to Original Remake. Oh, wait, no, that's your line. I mean, you can do it. I, I make uh, Peter do it. Uh, when he's not taking the week off, he has to do all the introductions. He has to introduce me every week. I talk about myself. What do you call your listeners? Remakers or originators? You know, I, I think since there's only like two of them, we don't really – we call them Mike and Peter. You could, <laughs> you could call them original and remake. Um, <laughs> hey, originators and remakers. Welcome back to Original Remake. I'm your permanent co-host, Dwight Hurst, in today with Michael Denniston. How are you, Michael? I'm I'm great. That that was really slick there. That was I, I like the the coup d'état we just we just witnessed on the show. <laughs> I'm I'm hacking away at your empire. I my name is Dwight Hurst, and I uh, come to you from a faraway land called the Broken Brain Podcast. I, I do a, a podcast about mental health and psychotherapy, which is what I do for a living. Um, I also do a, a show called Amygdala Magazine, where I talk about storytelling and writing. Especially writing, but all kinds of artists and content creators. I like to. That's basically an interview show where I talk about uh, storytelling and different forms of that. So obviously, with that, with you being an expert on broken brains, uh, I thought this movie would kind of these movies would rather would be right up your alley because they're all about picking apart at these uh, two actresses in this part of a woman that will not be believed. Yeah, this, I, this foolish, uh, apprehensive lady that keeps freaking out over the mere act of a woman disappearing off a train. How dare she? Really, really uh, interesting to me was the use of the word hysteria, and I, I especially like the difference in the way that it was used. Uh, you got to remember, of course, hysteria was code for a crazy woman, because uh, the medical community, uh, up until a certain point in history, they, they really did view. Uh, uh, mental health or anything that had to do with women as basically they followed the bitches be crazy model of uh, treatment for women, uh, which, which is still probably prominent in some areas, unfortunately, but they, they, they had actually had this diagnostic term, which was hysteria. It was mainly almost always used for women. And it was like, women are upset and that's not okay. And so I thought it was interesting that in the original, it was like, she's suffering from hysteria as if you'd say a normal thing, whereas in the remake, they referred to that because it takes place in the 30s, but you could tell that it had been maybe made with a little bit of a different attitude towards that word. Yeah, I felt like the way that the actors here 
uh, Tuppence, which is an interesting name. Tuppence Middleton playing Iris, our, our lead, the woman who uh, is trying to track down this vanishing lady, uh, makes multiple points that it's because of her gender that she is not being believed. Like she's seen this before. She's probably had incidents where uh, she's been told to calm down when there's actually something wrong that people should look into, like a woman being <laughs> taken off a train. But I don't know if I enjoyed it um, as much because I I usually watch the original first for the purposes of the podcast. And with the 1938 version being an Alfred Hitchcock film, I'd seen it multiple times. And uh, it has a very different tone. And from what I've read, is uh, sort of jumped off from the, the novel that the wheel spins. Uh, far more comedic all around. Everyone's <laughs> having some laughs. Yeah, I, I did think that that was interesting uh, in the Alfred Hitchcock version. It was obviously there are certain things we just don't really do anymore when it comes to filmmaking that, that they do there. There was the playful way in which the man infiltrates her hotel room, and they really kind of pull that off in a way that I don't know if it would come across as that harmless. I'm taking a bath in your bathroom, ha, ha, ha. Um, that you've asked me to leave and things like that. Uh, and, and, and of course there's the whole hysteria, hysteria and the male protagonist is just so full of himself in a way that I don't know that you could make a guy like that nowadays without it coming across as just a, a total asshole. And they'd have to be like, I think Jason Bateman would have to play him and, <laughs> and it would be a whole different kind of comedy. <laughs> that That is probably the first time, uh, in any sort of film criticism that, Michael Redgrave has been compared to Jason Bateman, film <laughs> <laughs> classic leading man to Jason Bateman. That's a well. That's just, I, hope, I hope that Bateman's listening to this. That the, you just paid him a huge compliment. Oh, you know he is. You know he is. Uh, <laughs> he's been waiting. He's been tuning in. And this is one of the things that I bring to the table is plugging Jason Bateman into some of these movies. I also, yeah. On on that note, um, even the way that in the original they're attempting to before the the train even. Leaves. They're trying to uh, attack this old lady. Um, they they murder uh, a poor, <laughs> like traveling uh, musician yeah. outside and, her window. No, no, that's never brought up again, is it? <laughs> I I remember thinking, oh, the plot's thickening, and then later on being like, didn't that kill a dude? Was that <laughs> did that happen? They were did very successful that? in killing someone that I believe had nothing to really. Uh, I mean, it seemed like with all the shenanigans they have in place to capture Miss Froy on the train and hide her, yeah. because they, yeah, I, I, they're very careful about not leaving a body behind on the train. But yeah, uh, but who knows that, what happened to that guy? Yeah, he probably wasn't very important. There, something that they did maintain throughout both of them, I thought, was a very interesting idea of being British is like this mm. this protection. You had people that were like, "We're British citizens; they can't mess with us." They didn't. That was a. That was not my British accent. So I don't know what that was. <laughs> I don't believe that guy was a British citizen. Actually, he was lying. I think he's a spy. Yeah, I would never believe uh, Dwight Hurst on the train <laughs> when he tries to play the British card to get out of something. Uh, uh, well, it's it's far more important in the original, right? Because it's it's building up to World War II, and there's uh, clearly a message uh, in this. A comedy thriller towards the the end, and I guess with the basic premise about these British citizens uh, not sticking their head in the sand and not remaining isolationists and taking up arms for this cause that they ha they have to buy in 
which eventually leads to a, a gunfight that's not in the the newer version. No. Uh, unfortunately, so for me, because yeah, I enjoyed that, I enjoyed the wisecracking gunfight at the end of the, the I, 38 version. I was amazed at the the casual approach that people had to this gunfight, uh, particularly <laughs> when when the one guy is like, "This is posh," you know, "this this 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 is poppycock" or whatever, and he uh, he walks out, gets shot in the hand, very casually returns, is like, "Well, you were right." I mean, you know, and. and <laughs> It was almost as if someone off screen, Alfred Hitchcock was telling the actors, don't care if you get shot. You know, <laughs> it's not that big a deal. It's just a bullet. Wouldn't you like to see modern action films and those heroes <laughs> have that persona? Because they clearly don't seem to care if they get shot the way they throw themselves in a, you know, a hail of bullets. But it's very melodramatic and, you know, slow-mo. I would like to see Marky Mark get shot in the hand and be like, oh, damn, that did happen. <laughs> and not even, oh, damn, just kind of like, hey. Got a good point there. Um, I concede <laughs> that you were correct. Now that I have been shot in the hand, yeah, John McLean gets 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 shot and is just like, oh well, that happened. Uh, yeah. Also, a distinct lack of uh, magicians and trickery in the train in the newer version, which I missed. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I thought that it was interesting in the 2013 version. Uh, there was there were a couple areas where I felt it was superior, but one of the things that they definitely they aired away from whimsy, uh, mm-hmm. where there was definitely some whimsy. And and actually, you can see where, I didn't do the dates here, but just based off the fact that it's black and white, I assume it was before the birds. And uh, <laughs> Good call on that no, one. <laughs> no research here uh, has been done on this statement I'm about to issue, but it reminded me of something. I, I rewatched The Birds recently, uh, which I think everyone should go do after you watch both of these movies. You should rewatch the birds because you should probably do that every month or so. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I was uh, remarking upon the the scene in the diner where that that didn't have to be a scene where we had any character development because some of those characters don't ever come back. But mm-hmm. Hitchcock decided to yeah we're going to have some quirky people in this diner talking and you can tell they're quirky a sentence or two into their dialogue. In fact, with some of them, that's all the dialogue they get. Uh, and and you could see elements of that where he's like oh here's these two quirky sort of uh, uh, English dudes who were obsessed with cricket. Um, you kept wondering if there was going to be more to them, and there really wasn't in that way. They were sort of... I, I, I didn't know for sure if they were secretly... Because this is in the 30s. If they're secretly supposed to be a couple, but they seemed too interested in the maid getting undressed in their room for that, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't read that. I felt like they were... Uh, well, I mean, I guess they could be... They could be romantically involved, but they were like the '30s version of bros. Like they were really into like their fancy football scores, and they yeah. couldn't find they couldn't find Wi-Fi or like a yeah. data connection, and so they just were desperate to get back. And that's the other thing that I feel like injecting humor into the '38 version helps it more for me because it's a ridiculous premise. And so if you start to really pick apart, like, geez, why are they going through all this trouble for this old lady? Because in the 2013 version, she's just she's kind of unaware that she's witnessed something that she's, she's going to play an important role in the international scandal by witnessing, uh, basically an event that would negate the alibi of a murderer. Uh, whereas in the the 38 version, she is a spy. And so, yeah, that's something that I, I was going to ask what you thought of that change. I liked the old lady being a spy personally. 
Yeah, which I, I, actually, does she have a line where she doesn't really even like that term? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I've always thought that was, that was a distasteful word. <laughs> and then right before she just like jackrabbits her way across a forest, by the way, which I thought was awesome. She's like, well, I'll be off. Was <laughs> <laughs> bullets flying? Past <laughs> bullets her. flying past her. Was she hit? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you know the fact that we do have someone who kind of knows that she's in uh, a serious business. Like it's certainly not a surprise to her that she's going to be fleeing from gun gunplay and gunfire at the, the end of her travels there. <laughs> I like that, that better because it makes, it makes the, the whole reasoning, the very silly reasoning behind the other passengers on the train for not just saying, yeah, I've seen this old person kind of play better tonally. Like we have the guys that just they're concerned because they want to get back uh, for the, the the cricket match, you know, they just want to get back into their normal day day life, and so they're going to lie about something very important over something very <laughs> trivial. Whereas it's far more melodramatic in the 2013 version. Well, why people aren't saying the truth, and and I think I think so. So you have a little bit of both there. Where I do I do find that if you're going to go the more serious route, like in the 2013 version, uh, clearly they they decide to go serious on that. You have to have some more compelling reasons, and you've got this uh, wonderful uh, traveling couple, which I thought at first were just a throwaway, ultra-religious, tight, woolly-wound couple, mm-hmm. but they actually made the most out of it. And one of them was, oh my gosh, what is her name? you got Pip Torrens playing the Reverend, and uh, 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 Sandy McDade, who I've only seen on the TV series uh, Lark Rise to Candleford, where she essentially plays a very similar character, um, but she plays that character very, very nuanced as far as like, she's this kind of, uh, this is kind of what, what they would regard as a, as a spinster daughter of a minister in that TV show. But then she, she marries and she, they, they, she, that actress portrays a very complex character in which could be just a cartoony character, um, to where you get to see the ins and the outs of this person. And so I, I felt like she brought, you know, some real chops to that where you kind of believe, oh, this is a real couple. They have real problems. Uh, even though they're this the throwaway religious couple at first, I so, forgot to mention that you were an expert on British television. We didn't we didn't pimp out that <laughs> we did that really. podcast uh, project. So yeah, make make sure to tell people where they can find all of your thoughts on <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the Brits and what they're doing in TV land. <laughs> I did a limited run about the last uh, uh, the last season or series, as they say, across the pond of Downton Abbey. Uh, so guilty as charged, and I will say I just. I write a, a column for the Good Men Project, and I just did one about an episode of Lark Rise to Candleford because it's really, you know, on everyone's minds, obviously. Um, <laughs> Along with the birds. <laughs> Along with the birds. These are really these are pop and cultural references that I try to make. <laughs> I, I will say nothing wrong against the birds because my uh, new wife has decided she's going to go as Tippy Hedren from the birds for Halloween this year. For there our, go. we're going to throw a Hitchcock Halloween party. So, oh, yeah. amazing! Be, is yeah. is she going to do the the actual birds attached to the costume flying around? Yes, her? like yes. The, the green sort of jacket and the yeah. she's, you know, she's she's already been buying up birds and she's you know fixing oh, amazing. up her props. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know who I'm going to be because I, I don't think I look anything like. The, the sort of caveman, the sort of alpha dude that uh, Hitchcock normally employed, which is one reason, getting back to Lady Banshee's, that I like. I like that he's not just sort of stock, handsome dude. Like he's he is charming. And, and the fact that music that I was making fun of earlier 
uh, ends up playing a central part. Like the arts yeah. play a central role in these uh, sort of international spy games, which yeah, yet again adds to the whimsy, as you said. Yeah, which which I think was I think was cool. It, it would be interesting, and I know that it's been remade a couple of times. Uh, it seemed like, at least according to IMDb, where where I was looking up for the 2013 version. I would love to see something that tried to, to that actually tried to recapture some of that, and maybe if we did make it nowadays, we would have to explore that a little deeper. We want to see a little more with the music, maybe a little more backstory, and then then again, I don't know if that would weaken that we if we, if we would buy that whimsy nowadays. You know, if yeah, it was sort a of like project. that. It's uh, it's like, hey, here's the here's the secret spy code, or here's the information. <laughs> it's this tune you have to hum, and I also like the way it plays out that it's. And he makes a point like I don't need to write it down. I'm a musician. Like I, you know, I've been, I've been crafting tunes since you know I was in the womb. And he, <laughs> then we we get to uh, that would be a great line, by the way, if that's what uh, it, if it was in there. Well, you know, we we can make our version of it. We can we can go back to the the drawing board and and add some more whimsy. Uh, but I like that you know there's a small bit of romance because it's it's an hour and a half film, um, and you know since they, we have a male and female lead that they're they're probably going to inject some bit of romantic interplay at some point in the film but it actually comes i think much later like he's pretty much just i think there's more of it in the 2013 version as far Mm -hmm. as like the guy is less uh abrasive i mean he's certainly more modern even though it's still a period setting as you were saying with 2013 uh we don't just have this dude saying, "Hey, I'm you know I'm coming into your bathroom now. Hey, I'm bunking with you, stranger. <laughs> hey, you're uh, you're fucking crazy." Yeah, <laughs> but he's also uh, it's interesting because the way they end them, they end even though it's still on a flirtatious note. There is a betrayal there, uh, whereas in the 38 version, the betrayal is the fact that he's fallen for the the tune that he has stuck in his head is basically like, you know, wedding bells that he's got. Cause he's, he's thinking of, he's, he's basically totally, uh, fallen for, he's they're in that sort of, uh, school crush kind of phase mm-hmm. once they, they get off the train. I thought that was a pretty deft way to handle it since you don't have a lot of time. Uh, and it's, it's sort of a way of saying something without saying it as far as what is, what's on his mind. And Hitchcock is is nothing if not eager to move on to the next point, mm-hmm. uh, and which which was also a style choice that made sense at the time. Uh, I think we have to we have you know you have to kind of take those things. Speaking once again of of other Hitchcock, I just it's it's kind of a kind of a funny guys movie night. Uh, the other the other night, I was with a bunch of bunch of friends, and we're like, what are we gonna watch? Uh, let's watch a movie. You know, we're at a friend's cabin. And uh, my buddy's like, let's watch North by Northwest. Some of you haven't seen it, so we did that. Um, so that was Great a guy's movie. guys Great movie night. Movie. Yeah, and so you you see that where uh, they're climbing down a mountain, and he's like, "Tell you what, if we survive, I'll marry you." You know. <laughs> <laughs> and she I, I, starts asking about what about your previous divorces? Oh, don't worry about those. <laughs> and they're resolving this major thing while they're in danger climbing down Mount Rushmore. Uh, spoiler alert: Mount Rushmore is in that movie. And and I don't know if that's a big spoiler. It's probably on the cover. <laughs> it's okay. I think also spoiler cornfield plain. I won't say any more. Um, spoilers for North by Northwest, everyone. Uh, yeah. So so I think that he he gets to it in a way that we once again, if it was made modern, we can chuckle at it now a little bit and go, oh, that's kind of old fashioned. Um, that that rate of speech and the way that they do that. We wouldn't make it now and accept it in the same way, and I don't—at least I don't think we would. I, no, I, I mean, it, it, you definitely have to 
you have to be totally sure uh, about your choices here. So I was reading that with Lady Vanishes, this was not a project that Hitchcock originated like he did with a lot of his films. Like you were mentioning North by Northwest. Uh, that was, I believe it started because he's sitting around and he's telling a screenwriter, whoever he's got around, that's like, hey, write this down. Uh, I've always wanted to do a set piece, a chase on top of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so why don't you figure something out to get us there, to get to that point? Let's work backwards. Nice. And with Lady Vanishes, he couldn't, I guess he was still under a contract for one more film to this producer. And this was something that they'd attempted to film with another director and it fell through. Uh, I think because of like location permits or something like I, I don't remember where they were filming, but whatever country it was, uh, they didn't once they looked at the material, didn't care for it. And so hmm. they had to shutter it. And he I think he he didn't really change much um, except for very small details. So that was kind of weird for me to hear, because based on watching the 2013 version, which I read was adheres very close to the novel it seems like he changed quite a bit and but is it do you think is, is it just tonally that he just he just gave it a different feel like keeping the same premise but when you make a slight alteration to a character it just sort of changes the whole thing like the old lady being a spy yeah well that that is an interesting that is an interesting difference he, he gives a, a, a her which for the time i think was quite a bit of agency that's one thing that i think everyone will see that i enjoyed more about the remake was that uh, Tumpets Middleton's character has a lot more agency and is a lot more interesting than uh, whoever Margaret Lockwood was in the, in the original. She was just basically like a fainting silly person. Uh, Whereas in the, the remake, she, she had more of a well-developed character and she wasn't always polite, which I also liked as well because it makes her a little more interesting as well. And you have that whole guilt component where she's like, I was really rude to this nice lady, and now she's disappeared, and the least I can do is try to find her. Um, because my life isn't all that important. I'm this little socialite person. So, I mean, but I th- so, so it was an interesting choice, getting back to the, the choice to make the old lady a spy, to give her that kind of agency and power, and, and in the end to be like, yeah, she kind of saved the day. She's got some kind of secret message ostensibly hidden in this musical note that can save... I don't know, Britain, the world, the world. Let's go with that. The world. It would be the world if we, if we uh, remade it now, <laughs> instead of just some bit of information that might help Great Britain a little. And I had, yeah, I, you know, on that po- uh, point of the way uh, it's written for Tuppence Middleton as Iris Carr, as opposed to the originals, Iris Henderson, uh, I, I found myself, I guess, being like one of the the dudes that was like, you're getting on my nerves. Like you were hysterical. <laughs> like, would you please stop talking? <laughs> and it was because I even marked it down. It was, it's about 32 minutes into the film. And I, it's the, the older man who is sort of, is able to interpret that can be the go between, uh, between these, you know, the non Brits who don't have their, their Brit card, uh, to play. <laughs> and, he he looks at her when she starts to to kind of go off tilt again. She you know it's, it's and with good reason. I mean, there's been there's been a lot of strange things that have happened to her in this this first half hour of the film. But he says, "Are you able to pull yourself together enough to make a coherent statement?" And I, was, yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was, I like paused it and was like did a fist pump and was like cheering him on, like yes, that is how I feel about this film. Like yeah, yeah. No, and I'll tell you what she suffers from something you and I have talked about before, but the character who literally can't just keep it together even for a minute uh, when they're upset. 
And, and I think you see some of that where we we focus so hard sometimes, you know, we focus so hard on uh, be upset that it's like, okay, I'm upset. And it's like, well, does your character have any social skills? Uh, because you could, even, even if it was only to be productive, like, okay, I want to try to get these people are lying to me instead of just putting my face up to their face and going, you're lying. Maybe I should try to think about a more subtle way to handle this. Uh, so, so I do think she, she suffers from that. Um, Eh, it's it, it's 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 a toss-up for me just because I I felt like the original character is just so silly, especially when she gets out of the hotel, um, which that for me uh, was was something that I, I felt changed about her. I felt like when she was in the hotel, she was like kind of haha, I'm in charge. I'm gonna bribe my way into this. I'm gonna do that. Uh, in the original, I should add, I'm gonna you know pay for his room, and then oh okay, look at this this sophisticated game of chess we're playing to try to get him kicked out of the airport, out out of the out of the hotel, and then once we're on the train, once again, once once uh, Redgrave's back, she seems to just turn into kind of a silly person, where she's not doing like, like she's doing like calisthenics to stay awake, and he slaps her ass, and is like, ha, you're not drugged, dummy. <laughs> I was like, well, how is she supposed to know that? <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, you kind of negated the point that I was going to make, which because she was doing Cal six, but I was about to defend uh, her silliness by the fact that she took a brick to the head before she got <laughs> before see, she got on the train. That's the biggest difference. So, so, so you're buying the female hysteria. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I think I think if I took a brick to the head, you could you could go ahead and say I'm suffering from female hysteria, and I'm not going to be offended. You could say I'm <laughs> suffering from Mike hysteria, uh, dumb American hysteria. I don't know. Um, I I really you know we haven't really talked about that. I like that a lot better than the uh, the continued reference to the the sun being her her natural enemy that has caused <laughs> this this reaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think overall the the interesting thing is the 1938 version is a really a better movie um, that and and it is very interesting and says a lot about Hitchcock's abilities that here's this kind of throwaway project that you know nowadays you see a throwaway project and something like some garbage like Sausage Party or something uh, where it's like oh ho ho you know this this nonsense this was like a throwaway where he th- that's why this still has legs is because he made it and you can see in it elements of like later on uh, movies and things. Whereas the 2013 version is just kind of like a, it, it's like a decent masterpiece theater piece mm-hmm. is what I would call it. Um, yeah. And that's that certainly, they, yeah, that's the style they're shooting for. Like you can tell the way the music and the, uh, the, <laughs> the person in the very first shot, that's like, looks like he's being chased on the train tracks. And this is like the dramatic score, like uh, far, far cry from the like Kenner toy playset car in the little town <laughs> that's being played with in the opening shot. I, you know, version. I made a note I, I, as I was watching it. I like to make, make little observations, you know, uh, for, for these for these uh, these podcasts. You can tell how prepared I come into the conversation. Uh, <laughs> so it's no surprise that I have copious notes. One of the things I wrote down was I actually liked that intro. Uh, mm-hmm. He had that little, some kind of little mechanized car driving by. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that really made it for me. Um, and, and, and if you watch that, it, it is really interesting. Like there's some things that I think we have built upon. Um, and I'm not going to say they came from The Lady Vanishes necessarily, but they certainly came from Hitchcock and some others. For example, one of the great scenes that I, I would want to put in a remake if I was remaking it is when Michael Redgrave's character, uh, 
uh, Gilbert is like, oh, you know, I don't know what to think about this woman and what she's going through. And he walks in the hallway and he sees the guy dumping the garbage and the tea packet happens to flutter by the window mm. long enough that he sees it and goes, holy cow, she is telling the truth. She's absolutely not only telling the truth, she's not mistaken. Uh, and then he's 100% on board from that point. And that's a movie thing, obviously, because, you know, would you really commit 100% to put yourself in danger for something? And then he, but, especially but, for a tea packet, <laughs> especially for a tea packet that could have been, you know, it was obviously something that could have existed, you know, for some other reason or, or whatever. But that was Miss Froy's official British card. That's that right. fell out of the tea packet, <laughs> tea packet. It's like, wait, no one else would care that much about tea. <laughs> uh, and he knows cause he's British. So, yeah. So I thought like there were a couple things like that. I did think they, they toyed around a little bit more with the male character, uh, uh, trying to believe her sooner in the new one, but then he does mm-hmm. drug her also, which yep. was an interesting choice. So I, you know, I would have liked the ending far more if she doesn't kind of end it on flirtation. Uh, cause I, when he walks up to her, he's like, are you ever going to trust me again? And she's like, Nope. Yeah. Not happening. I was yeah. like, Oh, this is, this is badass. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like this. They, we survived the adventure. But then, you know, of course she's, you know, drives away and she gives him like a little flirty smile and, you know, basically it's like, you know, make it a game of like trying to find her. And I, I didn't, I, I felt like that was like a throwback to the 38 sort of tone. And I didn't feel like that was in her character, really. I, I, I felt like this version of Iris would have been like, nah, to hell with you. Yes. And I, I agree with you. That was what I wanted her to say, particularly because this wasn't a masterpiece theater and this wasn't season one of a thing. And next week, you know, mm-hmm. if next week we were going to have another installment, I'd be right. like, okay, I'll allow it because we got to keep the same cast, obviously. And mm-hmm. this is a long story arc between these two. Um, I thought it was, it was, uh, on the one hand, they're trying to do some interesting things with giving her some power and some agency. On the other hand, you know, we can't get away from the fact that, uh, and I know the time because I, I I clicked to see how much was left as I was watching it. And it was like eight minutes left, and she hadn't even found a Miss Froy yet. And and we go very quickly once she finds Miss Froy to then she's been drugged, she's in danger. These two dudes who have been kind of mansplaining to her, especially the professor, uh, who 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 was a you know he wasn't the throwaway mansplainer character who was just like you're totally wrong because you're a woman he he was willing to put it on the line and for some reason command the police in a foreign country because we all know college professors have that <laughs> that power uh, too so so here's these two dudes who haven't really believed her one of whom actually tried to drug her so you know and then all of a sudden they are the saviors who 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 rescue her so all of her agency kind of went out the window at that point and I didn't like that. Yeah, and also on that the sequence where she's she's being taken away, uh, similar to how they attempt to do it with uh, Miss Froy, but our heroes have tricked him and put one of the bad guys under bandages and take. Yeah, away. yeah, well, that's another thing that I think we see elements of in modern cinema that was very clever back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like uh, even though the, the heroes are are goofier in the original, they. Uh, they they are able to pull some of their own shenanigans and basically as even leading to the gunfight uh maybe it's just like the redgrave character where it's like once there's a buy-in it's like we're totally in to all this we're 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 into shooting at whoever this is we're into we're gonna switch the body knock this person out 
Um, and that's, that is a big difference because our, our male lead in the 2013 version, uh, even through all of this still towards the very end decides to knock her out. That's for, for the best. Like I, I, I like this person, but you know, she needs to go to sleep now. We need to remove her from the equation. He was feeling the same way you were, which is like, can I shut her up just for a little while? <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, stand 90 minutes with this person. My, my goodness. My favorite bit of the whole gunfight. And I'll say the whole, the fight scenes, obviously there was, there was comedy, which I actually thought. It's a little silly and a little weird, but at the same time, I really liked the comedy, like the knife fight. I don't know if there'd been that many knife fights in movies for Hitchcock. It was kind of a bold choice to say, mm. let's have a little comedy in the middle of a knife fight uh, where she gets the stool and like, I can't quite reach. Let me try over here. Let me bite him. Let me put him in here. Oh, man, now we have to untie him again. And and then the gunfight, though, my favorite moment is when the sort of, uh, oh, I don't know, the less tough looking of of the two it was a basil radford and uh, uh i had it on imdb somewhere mountain wayne i believe caldecott is just like the, the the one cricket dude is like oh yes give him the pistol he's quite a good shot and he's just like mowing dudes down and he's just like kind of like oh well i'm in <laughs> in for a penny and for a pound <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let me I wonder how it. my fancy cricket team is doing, but I guess I'll just mow these guys down. That's fine. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock actually took out the line where he said, let me bust out my gat and lay these, <laughs> lay these busters down. <laughs> oh, how I wish. You know, if if that had remained in there, he may have actually uh, won something for his directing. I, I, I was shocked. I was reading like up on how the reception was for this, and this was his last uh, British film. So this was the, the one that kind of set him on his path to, to Hollywood. Uh, and this, I believe, won the New York Film Critics, like, Best Picture of hmm. 38. And they also gave him, I guess, the whatever their, their version of, like, Best Director amongst that critics group. And that is the only time he was ever acknowledged for his direction. That That's astounding wow. to me, given his career. <laughs> like, I knew the Oscars had always done them, but I didn't realize that critically he was not, you know, now he's far more... Um, well received as far as his films being all sure. pretty much classics, and then I guess he was just seen as more of like a genre guy. Like, oh, he makes popcorn movies. But yeah, that that shocked me that the Lady Vanishes is the only time he got that sort of acknowledgement. That is amazing to me because if you were to ask like Hitchcock fans, I I don't know, but I wouldn't guess this would come up in the top five favorites. What are what are your top five favorites? Putting you on the spot there. Ooh, let's see. Top five favorites. New segment on original remake. Um, <laughs> Well, obviously, I would put, I mean, I'd put both the ones that we mentioned here, North by Northwest, The Birds. Um, you know, I like Saboteur, or Sabotage, okay. I guess is what the name of it actually is. Uh, <laughs> I think. I'm, I should look. Um, but yes, I think it's Sabotage, isn't it, where, where the guy's being, being blamed for that. Uh, regarding Henry is actually one of my favorites that he made, his comedy. <laughs> Uh, that's uh the fact that you're going to come i thought you were going to go to uh you know the trouble with uh harry i thought that would be the uh the comedy of choice there for there's not for what Hitchcock. I, that's what i said right trouble with harry i think i, I think said went, i think i said regarding the, henry which is the harrison, harrison ford, ford movie <laughs> <laughs> no i was just i was just naming random movies that i like <laughs> about a boy kick ass <laughs> um no i don't know why i said regarding henry yes that's <laughs> the trouble with Harry is what I meant. You can tell I'm not cheating, everyone. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, that that one actually really holds up, and once again is is has some elements of just like silly comedy around a dead body, which I think is something that uh, we I don't know we we has set the tone for nowadays a little bit. 
and the way that we do some of that kind of kind of black comedy. Yeah, it is. I think it, then it was probably maybe not so like out of bounds for him, given his reputation that he just sort of makes entertaining movies. And there was obviously a lot of comedy and stuff like just to, in the the dialogue, like Rear Window. Uh, it's very snappy. North by Northwest, you mentioned. Uh, but I think his reputation now maybe sticks out more when we can look at his total work that yes. he, that it went so far. Like it, it is a comedy with a dead body, and it's not yes. a, a movie about a dead body that has elements of comedy to it. Yeah. Uh, also, that's a like it's sort of a strange romantic comedy as well. It's about like two couples like falling for each other over <laughs> a dead body. over d- disposal of a dead body. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I actually feel kind of bad because I was looking like I just pulled it up and I was like, oh, well, what would I have whittled it down to my top five? And it looks like I'm rather boring because uh, four of them are on IMDb, like his known for. It's like, here are his four most famous works. I'm like, yeah, those those would all be uh, which are Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest. I'm looking at it, too, now. And, I, you know, I forgot he made Lifeboat, which I really like as well. Mm-hmm. That was a, that one uh, kind of like Rope where he was like, you know, let's try to do something in this one space and see if we can, we can pull it off. What I liked the best about that was that his cameo is the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Cause he always made a cameo and you can't really have Hitchcock <laughs> just floating by. On this. Uh, have you seen, um, shadow of a doubt? That's the one, I guess that's my hipster play there about the, the uncle that comes uh, to stay with family. That is, that one is definitely in my top five. I, I, find I don't that know. One. I, I don't think I ever did see that one. Yeah, there's a, there was a recent film, which we should probably do for uh, original remake. We should get together and do another Hitchcock one called Stoker, which took elements from Shadow of a Doubt. It's not a direct Oh, remake, nice, nice. Yeah. But they acknowledged it. And both uh, versions of it, the character, it's Uncle Charlie, who comes to stay with a family. Huh. Uh, yeah, check check out uh, 1943, so not too far off from yeah, okay. late inches. We could always uh, pretend that Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the comedy about a couple that learns they're not actually married, is... Is is the precursor of the uh, Brangelina movie? I mean, yeah, we can. One. We Brad Pitt's got another one coming out around <laughs> Thanksgiving. We can just, <laughs> just we should just start like, a Hitchcock show. Just, you know, just a, see if you can uh, see if you can start a Twitter a Twitter scape a Twitter storm of people <laughs> saying that's not a remake, guys. It's not the same movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> The, the the worst part is uh, when you attempt to do something like that for attention and then no one even mentions it because they're, <laughs> they just don't okay, care. Right. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> Not going to listen to that, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you make some valid points, whatever they are. <laughs> Clearly, we've uh, we could do just a number of uh, Hitchcock things, as you mentioned, where he's influenced uh, modern filmmaking so much. Uh, but with that being, you know, the case, our, our premise here is we have to recommend if people are new to this material, uh, which version of this story should they watch? And in this case, we skipped over the 79 version and went to the 2013, the more recent <laughs> BBC television, which I've not seen the 79 version. That wasn't me making a judgment. I just figured we'd go for the more modern one. Probably more likely to be different, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so which one would you recommend for a first-time watcher if they have to, uh, you know, since at this point we've spoiled the story on both ends. <laughs> which, the la- which Guys, the lady doesn't really vanish. It's foul play. Um, you know, I think that uh, I, would re- I, I would recommend if you're going to watch just one, watch the 43 version because it's Hitchcock and, and you have to go with that. Um, and if you're going to watch both of them, watch that one first. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't not recommend the 2013 one, though. I, I think it's good. It's just something that you're going to watch if, if you expect it to be like I said, a masterpiece theater level 
interesting story with an ending that's kind of meh, you know. Um, but if you want to watch one that's like, oh, wow, I can see the underpinnings of Hitchcock's career and, and actually have kind of a good time playing with this one in the 43 version. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all over the. I'm not going to go against Hitchcock probably in any remake territory. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, with him unless uh, you know the really interesting thing is on this show. Me and Peter did an episode where um, it was him remaking himself with the man who knew too much. Uh, and even then, I think I went with the original Hitchcock. I said he was wrong to remake himself and should have been stopped from making movies forever at that point. Because that, that's what people would have done on film Twitter back in the 50s, right? They would, they would have raged against the master. <laughs> that's right. Back uh, before he was who he was. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I here's the strange thing, though. I feel like if you watch the 2013 uh, version on television, you just stumbled across it or you know, you rented it, whatever. Uh, I don't feel like, even though you know the beats of the story, it would ruin your experience with the original because it is so tonally different. I think you would still have a fun time with it. And you, you may even have more fun with it because you you kind of maybe allow yourself to be more feel more loose about this disappearing old lady because you, you know everything's going to turn out all right and you're just going to see the the comedy version. Yeah, you know, that it, it, that's a good point uh, because one thing about the older version too is that it is so silly in the beginning that you're kind of like, what is this movie? You know, mm-hmm. that there's an element of that just being like, what is going, what is going to happen here? You know? And both stories, do, as I said, take about a half hour to really get us like – on on the path to investigating this train disappearance. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of downtime before we even get to the train. I felt like the 2013 could have used Hitchcock's pacing a little bit more yeah. uh, to get a little. Then maybe they could have had a more decent ending that was a little more well rounded in the in the end. Yep. So, yeah. So that uh, that was the original remake with uh, our new uh, Overlord, our new host, new, Dwight new, Hurst. New uh, permanent co-host, Dwight Hurst, here again to uh, remind you to uh, download and listen to all of our back episodes of Original Remake so you can see the format before I took over. <laughs> I thought you were going to say download all the back episodes because we're going to re-record them with it's you stepping We're going <laughs> to add – you have about a week before we go in and uh, we dub just me in. It's, it's all just me going like, uh-huh, yeah, totally, yep, yep, yeah, you got it. That would be too too much work and also probably far too meta for me to remake a show called Original <laughs> Remake. Um, thank you again. Uh, so I'm gonna, we've, we've already marked it down. We're going to do at some point uh, another Hitchcock or another fake Hitchcock uh, remake with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That's right. Maybe both. <laughs> so one more time before we do that, where can people uh, find you to interact? Where can they find your various podcasts oh, you uh, to can, listen to? Uh, you can, of course, follow me on Twitter at BreakABrain. Uh, that's uh, one one good place to kind of keep on top of what's going on uh, there with me in the podcasting universe. Uh, both of my shows are the Broken Brain podcast about mental health, and we've got the Amygdala Magazine, which is about storytelling, and it ties to a, a digital publication that I'm trying to put out about once a year of short stories. The first issue of that is available on Kindle or Nook. It's a digital short story collection. We're uh, actually currently doing a short story uh, competition. If you can get a short story to me, uh, by Halloween, you can enter and <laughs> enter to win. There's some prizes and stuff. And both of those podcasts are uh, also uh, going through the Core Temp Arts Network. So you can find CoreTempArts.com for that and the other Core Temp Arts uh, family of podcasts. 
On that note, I should probably, uh, just out of the kindness of my heart, pimp out my missing, the vanishing co-host Peter, who is also on Core Temp Arts Network with uh, his show We Got Five, um, and he also plugs Hydrate Level 4 normally. Uh, he does this interesting thing, Dwight, where he always forgets to explain the premise of Hydrate Level 4, so he lets me plug mine, and then he goes back and does another plug for his. And I've, <laughs> I've, I've caught on at this point. You, you realize that that's twice. a tactic. Yeah. Yeah. But you can find him at uh, on Twitter at HLF Podcast. You can find me at War Machine Horse. My other show is War Machine versus War Horse. Both of those shows, Hydrate Level Four and War Machine versus War Horse. See that time I got mine in twice. Are on FollowingFilms dot com. And uh, thank you for listening to Original Remake. And we'll be back to remake all of our previous episodes. <laughs> Well, that long black train got my baby and gone. Train, train, coming round, round the bend. Train, train. Well, it's a very good scenario. A woman disappears. At any rate, a woman vanishes, a lady vanishes, the next one's in a script. Yes. Of course, if we want to go back to our old friends, the plausibles... Si nous voulons retourner à nos vieux copains, les vraisemblances... I want to know why a message had to be in the hands of an old lady... Il devait y avoir un message dans les mains d'une vieille femme... anybody could knock over... I want to know why they didn't send the message by pigeon. Je me demande pourquoi ils n'ont pas envoyé le message par pigeon. And why they had to go to these elaborate methods to change her over on the train. Pour la changer dans le train. Have another woman ready to change clothes. Avoir une autre femme qui était prête à changer d'habit. Shunt a whole coach away into the woods. Faire disparaître toute une carre, tout un des cars dans les bois, dans la forêt. Particularly because all she's carrying is a little song. That's all, sure. Very nice. So that's the real fantasy. Never will again, never will again.